30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard Do you believe in magic? Well, I hope you do. Because I'm a wizard, and you're tuned into the awesome power of this podcast is a ritual. But the deeper question is, why do you believe in magic? Have you experienced magic firsthand, the same way you might experience true love or bad luck? Or are you like Special Agent Fox Mulder from The X-Files, and you simply want to believe? Personally, I believe in belief. And I think belief works like a door. If you slam it shut and keep it locked so it won't open for anyone, not no way, no how, well, now what you got is a wall. And a wall ain't no door at all. But if you leave it wide open and admit anyone or anything that happens to blow through, well, that's not really a door either. That's more like a, like a hole. See, the key to this door is discernment. We use the evaluative powers of our own experience to welcome in what we've tested and found to be valid while keeping out crooks and creeps, con artists and kooks, of which there are many in these lands of magic and mysticism. Which is why today we're talking with Victoria Lustelo, author of the new book, Future Perfect, A Skeptic's Search for an Honest Mystic. In this deeply personal memoir, Victoria shares her own experience of unlocking the door of discernment and opening herself up to the magical worlds of psychics, astrologers, shamans, and, as of this podcast taping, wizards. So come along with Victoria and I as we discuss the meaning of magic and the magic of meaning, looking for answers and talking mad shit on phony spiritual lifestyle brands, as together we all learn how to search skeptically. And hello, Victoria. Hi, Devin. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you so much for having me. What's our magic word going to be? Expansion. Expansion. Wonderful. So one, two, three. Expansion. expansion. I feel expanded. Now, I imagine you chose expansion for a variety of reasons, but one of them is that you expanded your horizons significantly with your most recent book. I did. Absolutely even more than I expected to. Um, One of the things that I tell people a lot, because it's true, (laughs) is that writing this book absolutely changed my life. And I find myself now on the other side of having written it in a constant state of expansion. Mm. Um, And it's just been incredibly profound and powerful for me personally and for my connections with other people and uh, the way that I'm fortunate to kind of move through this life now. Um, So I'm always, the the question now for me always is, is, you know, which decision is constricting and which decision is expanding or expansive and always choosing the opportunity for expansion. 
one of my mantras for a long time has been um, make your art work for your life, not your life work for your art, because we can drain ourselves slaving away at some sort of project that you know, we're just fi- focused on getting it past the finish line and that's going to be magically better. Yeah. Or you can take on a project where the act of creating it and doing the research and putting it together is going to take you down a rabbit hole and show you things that you never knew about yourself and about the world. Yeah, and that seems exactly. like what you did with yeah. this. So the book is future perfect. And I have to say, I love the subtitle of a skeptic search for an honest mystic. That, yeah. That's what jumped out at me when I saw it on a friend's coffee table. And I think just really resonated with um, my own search through mysticism. So what was the context of how did this book um, come about and burst forth into your life? Yeah, uh, you know, every project that I've done has come about in its own unique way. And I started this project in 2016. But if you had told me at the beginning of 2016 or late in 2015 that I was going to write a book about psychics and mysticism and shamans and astrology, I would not have believed you. Mm -hmm. Um, So this really caught me off guard in sort of the most beautiful way. Um, Before 2016, I'd never seen a psychic before. I wasn't um, against psychics or astrology or, you know, shamans or mysticism. I'll just call it maybe mysticism because it's just, it's such a huge... The new labyrinth. age diaspora. Yeah, the new, new age, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but it just wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that I had had. None of these things were things I had had much exposure to, had never taken the time to think much about them. And then in the spring of 2016, and I should also say at the time I was working for a large corporation. I had a you know, sort of very serious... Um, kind of traditional nine to five job. Um, so my life uh, looked very much the way that, uh, you know, I think maybe my parents' generation would want it to, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, but I had also just ended a seven-year relationship with a really, really beautiful human being. Um, and we were meant to be together for seven years. And and it had reached its conclusion, but finding myself sort of very much at a at a crossroads, you know, having just turned thirty, the whole thing, all all the stereotypes. You're like the beginning of the romantic comedy where it's like the busy professional, and you're like running around, and then you know your bag rips on the subway, and then you're like you wish on the star, and then the magical events unfold. Totally, a hundred percent. And that uh, in 2016, that summer, my best friend was getting married, and so in the spring of 2016, ahead of her wedding. She wanted to have a bachelorette party in, uh, in Montreal, and she wanted uh, for our group to see a psychic. And I had been to Montreal, but I didn't know the city particularly well. You didn't know the underground psychic scene. I did not know the underground psychic scene, yeah. exactly. Um, and so I was doing a bunch of travel for work, for my job, um, and also at the same time trying to plan this bachelorette party in Montreal and find a psychic. And as you can imagine, trying to find a psychic long distance over the internet, not necessarily the easiest thing. Uh, but I finally found someone who could see us at sort of the one specific time that we had available for the weekend. And I was very much going into this experience as this is what my friend wants to do. It'll be fun, whatever. I'm not putting much stock in this. Um, 
so we went and we saw this woman named Catherine River Rain, who's based in, um, in Quebec. And she gave each of us private individual readings. Um, and I went last and kind of, you know, was like, I'm not going to give this woman, you know, I'm not going to lead her on, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not giving any, you know, giving anything away. I've got my arms crossed. I, you know, sort of very stony, disbelieving face, you know, all this horrible energy that I'm bringing to the Which table. is so funny because someone pointed out once of like, you would never go to a doctor and say, well, you're the doctor. You tell me what's wrong. I'm not going to answer your questions. Totally. But then when it comes to magic or the occult, we have this insane burden of proof. I know. If you if you if you went to a doctor and you got cream for your rash and your rash continued, you wouldn't go. I guess doctors are all garbage. This proves it conclusively. Totally. But we have this attitude of like, well, if I'm going to go to a psychic, you should know why I'm here mm-hmm. and you give me all the accurate predictions. Yes. And if you make one mistake, you're out, Buster. I caught you. That is so well put. Um, absolutely true. Uh, so I sat down with all of those misconceptions and assumptions, um, and the very first thing that I noticed about the reading that Catherine gave me was how specific she was. You know, I came in with, uh, you know, assuming that, uh, I was going to get a lot of platitudes or sort of very general, a general narrative that could be applied to anyone, Mm. and that was not the case at all. She was giving me dates and timelines and uh, names and physical descriptions and genders of the future children of people in my life um, and things that could just very easily, you know, it's like they're either going to come to pass or they're not. There's no ambiguity as to how you interpret this. Either my friend is going to have a baby in 13 months and it's going to be a girl or she isn't. Um, You have an untapped creativity and there'll be a challenge in the year to come. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. totally. Um, So that, you know, kind of immediately made me sit up a little straighter and her, the timeline that she was giving me for things was relatively short, you know, a matter of weeks or months. So it wasn't like, oh, this is going to happen to you in five years. And what are the chances that in five years I'm going to come back to her and say you were wrong? But she's telling me things are going to happen in six or seven weeks. Um, so that, you know, sort of just blew my mind. And the other thing that really struck me about Catherine is she seemed to have very little investment in whether or not I believed her, (laughs) Mm. um, which you could say that that's someone who is, you know, just good at reading people or, you know, whatever. I understand the sort of skeptical counter argument to that, but it was really striking to me that anything that I maybe responded to with hesitation or uncertainty or that didn't quote unquote immediately resonate for me she didn't change her story Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like oh well maybe it means this or maybe i misread this card or you know whatever it was she was just very much like well this is what i see like take it or leave it like up to you it's none of my business um which was very intriguing to me and i found um I just really respected that, that, you know, whatever was going on between the two of us in that reading, she was very much herself and very centered. And she was inviting me to have an experience with her and sharing something with me. But, um, you know, what I decided to do with that was, you know, my own thing. So that was very cool. Um, And I just left feeling you know, it was like the best therapy session mm-hmm. I'd ever had, you know, it was like, oh, I, I understand the appeal of this and just, and you know, we all have that feeling regardless of what your uh, beliefs are, where you just meet someone and you feel an instant 
sense of um, familiarity or comfort or you're at ease. And I just really felt that with her. I always call that starting on page two. Like I can mm. tell when you, you know, you meet someone's friends, like your friend's friends. Yeah. And there's the people in the group that are like, hi. And they like put you at this distance and they're like, you're this person's friend. I don't know you. Yeah. And then there's the other people that are like, oh my God, let's like, you know, what's going on? Let's talk about music. Like I saw that you like this thing. That's so cool. You should come with us next weekend. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm already past the preface like I'm already in the mix and yeah. it's nice when you can connect with those people I love that page too it's like mm-hmm. starting mid-sentence or, yeah. you know in the middle of the story mm-hmm. uh, which is of course exactly what we're doing um that's great so yeah so I left the reading and all of us had really I would say impactful um experiences with Catherine um and then over the course of the coming months pretty much everything she told each of us came true and then I thought, okay, you know, here I am who knows not, I am someone who knows nothing about this world, but now you've got my attention. I don't understand. I just want, I just was so curious and I didn't know how to make sense of this experience and I wanted to learn more about it. Um, so I was feeling that way. And at the same time, as part of this process, I was talking about it, right? Any opportunity that I had to discuss this experience with someone, I did. Um, and what I realized was as I would tell this story, whether it was in a meeting at my sort of stuffy corporate office job or at a you know party or over a meal or you know whatever, anyone I would tell, everyone was super engaged in the story, very interested. And then you know we'd disperse or the conversation would shift. And later, you know they'd send me a text message or an email or they'd pull me aside and say, "Hey, you know you told that story about the psychic." And I just want you to know that, you know, I had this experience with an astrologer or I go see this particular psychic every year on my birthday. And, you know, they clearly didn't want anyone else to know. They wanted to tell me privately, but it was something they felt very strongly about. And it just and it was people of all different backgrounds, cultures, religions, races, ethnicities, you know, careers, professions. And that was so striking to me where I thought we all have this kind of the same dirty little secret. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the psychic offices are everywhere and Manhattan are. rent is expensive. Totally. So someone's got to be going there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then I thought, okay, there's an audience here. There's a conversation for yeah. this. And the thing that became clear to me and what really sort of launched me on this, on this project was a feeling that, I found myself in an interesting place in such that I'm not a psychic. I'm not an astrologer. I don't have those abilities. I'm not deeply ingrained in that community. And I understand the skeptics Mm -hmm. and the people who maybe really don't want to believe or who do want to believe, but have mixed feelings about that desire and feeling like I was sort of, in the middle. I could be a translator. I could talk to both sides of that equation and maybe help be a part of generating a larger conversation of bringing those two groups together. I think the agnostics are finally stepping into their power right now because 
if you have this, you know, like let's create some straw men around this, but if you have one side, which is the Reddit atheist knee jerk, I want to argue with you in a comment thread and disprove your Christianity and how God is a lie and Islam is evil and blah, 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 blah. It's so hard. It's so rigid. It's so inflexible. It's as dogmatic as everything that they claim that they're opposing. Mm -hmm. And that's obnoxious. Absolutely. But then if you go over to the other side and it's just all woo woo fluff, it's really hard to trust anything because if someone's just saying everything is just my journey, everything is just bliss. It's like, well, I'm having hard experiences. Are you not? Yeah. I don't trust that you're not. Right. I think that you're hiding them. And now I don't know what you're saying is true. And I don't want to buy the crystal that you're just trying right. to sell me. Right. And it's not relatable. Right? It's not relatable. And it's, it's a feeling. It feels just as isolating of, you know, even if that person does genuinely feel that, everything is just part of their journey and there are no problems. That's an ongoing process. Yeah. And you want people to be willing to share beyond that platitude and say, well, how, what does that really look like in day to day? And like, let's, let's, let's we get want a little bit of fiber in it because you know, yeah. we're all one sounds great when you're on the mountaintop, but then when you're on your way into work and someone's stepping on your toes on the subway, it's harder to find that. And that's, you know, I think what a lot of the best Buddhist teachers of the modern era do is they say, great, here's the Dharma. And then here's an example of the Dharma in everyday life. Yes. And I I also think that it can be isolating because a lot, not entirely, but a lot of the people who, at least in America and that I've been exposed to, who are proponents of this idea that's all light and love Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever, um, are, well, they look a lot like me, you know, yeah. they're, they're white and they're privileged mm-hmm. and they've had, um, resources and opportunities that are not available to the vast majority of Americans, let alone the vast majority of human beings on the planet. And so if you are someone who is drawn to mysticism and the new age as it's currently showing up in our culture, but feeling as if you don't look the part or you have someone like me who's saying, oh, it's all love and light. It's all great. And it's like, well, easy for you to say, you know, upper middle class white lady. Like that doesn't reflect my experience in this country. New Age is also pay to play, you know, as a religious movement. Like there's been a lot of problems with other religions, but other religions, you could still go and sit in a church and there was some sort of outreach to the poor. And there was, you know, yes, they're going to put that donation plate in your hand, but you can just chill. Like you yeah. can just be there. Whereas new age, it's all about signing up for the retreat or the yeah. workshop or buying the singing bowl or buying the new crystal or buying the exactly. Oracle deck. It's very hard to be a quote unquote new age practitioner and not be spending. Exactly. And in addition, there's the sensitivity around cultural appropriation, right? Yeah. That, you know, there's, you know, as I did more and more research for this book, one of the things that was so fascinating and beautiful to me was realizing the extraordinary historical traditions around the world that have such similar ideas, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, um, uh, you know, a, a Native American tribal community and their rituals around shamans here in the U.S. or, you know, the shamans of Peru or an African shaman or the Oracle of Delphi, you know, and, and the Greeks and um and recognizing that it's so much the same story coming from so many different places, which is awesome and amazing and empowering, but making sure that, you know, when you explore these ideas and, you know, choose to, if you can, if you're able to start buying those crystals or exploring the tarot, understanding 
where they come from, what histories, what traditions you are getting to know, and making sure that if you are in a position to make some purchases, that you're buying them from individuals mm -hmm. who it really reflects their own culture and you're supporting, you know, that Native American shaman mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, maybe a website started by a former actress. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that business venture but you know, oh just i would disagree it, i think that business venture is incredibly problematic and it's uh, incredibly exploitative. It's, it that's that specific i don't mm -hmm. think there's anything wrong with someone in that position deciding to have such a business venture but you don't know where those products are coming from or what you're supporting and that's and you're preying on people's desperation and pain yeah that's the thing is when you're saying i have the solution to your problem and it's this charcoal infused water or this right cacao facial balm yes. or it's this crystal that you put in your butt whatever it is and you're charging people an exorbitant amount for that and convincing them that they have more problems and that's yes. always what it is is that it's that cycle and it's especially preying on women yeah. where it's the whole industry of convincing women that they're unwell and this magical cream elixir beauty product bra whatever it might be yeah. and you can have that in a very mainstream capitalist way or you can have that in a very soft, gauzy, mother goddess, new age way, which is, I think, you know, people are always afraid of the storefront psychic that's going to rip them off. That's a $10 reading. Yeah. You know, that's very different than the um, whole other industry of insane invasive health treatments and all these other right. things. And so. it's, I think in some ways, even more dangerous yeah. because it is so manipulative and because you think you are doing something, you know, you think that you've chosen the quote-unquote alternative right, you know, that you're moving in this more empowering direction and trying to get away from traditional American capitalism um, and all the scam artists. But it's, You're still it's in the mall. Exactly. You're still in the mall, and it's just dressed up with, mm -hmm. you know, different adjectives and different lights and glitter, but same thing. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and it's, it's hard because people are looking for something else, and it's, yeah. it's hard to tell people where to go and the other issue with this is that i've seen and it makes me so uncomfortable is how you you can weaponize faith mm -hmm. that if you aren't signing up for a thing and if you're holding back and you're not committing to this retreat why are you blocking your soul's journey you know i'm the holder of knowledge i'm telling you that you shouldn't listen to that voice inside of you that's saying don't do this that voice is fear why are you holding back when really it's like, no, that voice is you saying something's wrong here and you want $1,500 from me. And I should I should trust my friends and family more than I should trust um, a stranger with a... Uh... Exactly. There's one of the women that I interviewed in the book is a woman named Michelle Sine, who is a really incredible um, empath and uh, teacher. Um, she uh, is also a licensed social worker and has worked in sort of more... Uh, what we would consider sort of mainstream mm -hmm. professions of um, help and service to people. But Which has, the boundary gets really blurry. It does get really blurry. And, you know, that was something that was really interesting. Um, Michelle was not an anomaly in the sense that a number of the people who I interviewed who are now working in this space have backgrounds as, um, you know, licensed um, family therapists mm -hmm. or social workers, or they've worked in law enforcement, or they've worked in... 
you know, the, the medical field as a nurse or a doctor. Um, and that really surprised me. But the more that I talked to people like that and the more I thought about it, the more I realized, oh, you know, they were born with these gifts and this ability and they tried to find a way to take their skills and apply it in the framework that we're given as Americans as we're growing up in this society and ultimately found it unfulfilling or that it wasn't enough and so have kind of come back to their roots or their true self. Um, but, you know, it didn't surprise me the more I thought about it that, oh, of course they tried to be of service in these more socially acceptable ways. Um, but Michelle, um, one of the things that she and I talked a lot about was that idea of should and anytime the notion of should comes up in your mind, it's just that it's in your mind, it's yeah. your brain, and that sense of obligation and fear. And um, and it's not to say that there aren't you know legitimate reasons to be afraid, but just thinking more carefully, not even thinking, right? That's brain, but feeling, feeling more carefully about why am I falling into this pattern of should or you know, why do I think that this is something that I should do or need to do? And and just questioning that. And it may be that you ultimately come to the same decision that you would otherwise. Um, but you've now, you've, you know, it's, it's you know, Michelle once said to me, it, it matters less what you do and, you know, how you do it or the intention that you do it from, which I thought was um, just a really beautiful way of, you know, I'm not, this book is not about trying to, change people's minds it's um and and that's for two reasons one because I think I want this book to be an opportunity for people to have a new conversation or a different type of conversation and it may be that after reading it and my experience and my research and the conclusions I came to a reader has a completely different conclusion which is fantastic and I celebrate that that's you know that's awesome um it's you know it's less about this is the thing you're supposed to do and more about you know let's explore let's expand together um so that was you know one notion of why I didn't want this to be necessarily a book of I'm trying to change your mind or convince you of an idea and don't believe in psychics here's why you're wrong right yeah. right and I've got the proof to back it up exactly um that's just is you know that's a that's clickbait right? right you know it's a fun little headline but it actually feels really superficial at least to me uh, it only takes you so far um, and the other notion that I have around this idea of the book not being something that's trying to change your mind is because what I realized partway through in the research was so many of these ideas that I was being introduced to and exploring for the first time in a real way were not all that different from beliefs that were really familiar, whether it was through, and I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I was raised Catholic, um, you know, through the religious beliefs of my ancestors and my family, or even through the politics and the way that I consider myself a, uh, you know, an, an American and a citizen of democracy, um, that a lot of what I was learning in the mystical community was very similar. It was just a different set of vocabulary or a different set of terms to come at a lot of the same ideas. And so it was less a believe something new and more a 
you actually already believe this. Notice the patterns that are all around you. Yeah. I mean, America is founded on the principles of mystic individualism. That is, Absolutely. That is in the DNA of our culture. And I think, you know, sometimes in the current world, it seems like we're reaching um, some of the end games of those things with hyper-individualism and needing to seek more collective community-oriented solutions. Yes. But that is such a common thing in both the American dream of go forth and manifest your destiny right. and in the new agey, uh, um, new thought, positive thinking, like if you just think about success long enough, like you'll manifest it. If you want it hard enough, like you will lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the other ideas that I've, um, found myself really, really resonating for me in this project was, okay, we have organized religion, which is, really, to my mind, a separate entity from a notion of God or a higher power. I believe there are people through their organized religion of choice or family or history who are able to strengthen their connection to God. I think that is possible. But I grew up thinking that Catholicism and God were one and the same. And when I got a little older and was challenged by and frustrated by so much of the dogma of the Catholic church and the power and the politics and the money and the greed behind the business of Catholicism. I just sort of assumed that in throwing that out, I also had to throw out an idea of a higher power. Um, And so I did come to realize in the course of this book that those are two separate things, the idea of a higher power and organized religion. There's the canyon and there's the river. And yeah. They're connected, but you can definitely end up with a canyon that has no river. Yes. And you can, you know, you can have a relationship with a higher power disconnected from organized religion. I think you can also have organized religion without any connection to a higher power. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? my, one of my friends always calls it, it's like, where's the juice? Like, you know, yeah. what has the juice? And, you know, for some people, they're still finding juice in the same ceremonies that they grew up in and has a connection with their childhood. And that's really powerful. Totally. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, there's church services that seem to have uh, very little you know, they're like 2% juice. Yeah. And we want to go out and find another source that um, connects with us more and has that vibration. Right. That There's no real experience. fruit there. It's all yeah. from concentrate. Yeah. 100%. Um, so, so there's that. And then, and then there's also this notion of spirituality. And that was something that I really grapple with in the book because what does that mean? You know, if you tell me that you're a Catholic or you're a Muslim or, you know, of the Jewish faith, there's some sense that I know what that means. There's an agreed upon definition. Here is our text. Here is our, our philosophy. If you tell me you're spiritual and I say that I'm spiritual, we both might may be totally authentic and genuine in those statements, but we could be meaning two completely like different queer. things. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if you know, mm-hmm. if, if there's people that are like, I am a lesbian, I'm like, I have a general idea of what's going on there, but if someone's queer, like I have no idea what they're looking for, what their gender identity is. Mm-hmm. I, I know this one very crucial piece of information, but nothing else. And exactly. spirituality could be very similar. Yes. And I have heard people define what queer means to them in one way, and I've heard people define it in another way, and I think both are equally valid. But as someone who is a writer and for whom words mean so much, 
spirituality in particular was frustrating to mm-hmm. me because I liked the general concept of making a distinction from organized religion but still wanting to be open or in tune to something bigger than yourself but but the the lack of communally agreed upon definition gave me an aversion to using spirituality because it just felt uh, dissatisfying, you know? And and it was frustrating to say, if I'm going to say that I'm spiritual, I want that to resonate. I want that Mm -hmm. to mean something when I say it. I want the other person to understand me a little better. And that wasn't happening. Um, And you can even have the opposite where it's, it's, you know, it's like the debate where one person's talking about God as being the all-encompassing notion of existence and the other person is like you're you mean a white guy with a beard and it's like we have this yeah. fuzzy term and no like both sides are seeing what they want to see in that so you could totally try and have a, de- a, a debate or a conversation with someone around spirituality mm-hmm. and you're both meaning wildly different things and just missing each other in the dark yes exactly yeah. um so that was another thing that was really important to me to try and unpack um, and came up in every single interview that I did. That's what I wanted to know more about is, mm-hmm. so you started interviewing and reaching out. How many, just what is the scope of this? How many people were you talking to? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it was interesting because um, in projects past that I've done and when I've done more sort of uh, what you might consider more traditional journalism, mm-hmm. um you know, I would have had, you know, I had a spreadsheet and, you know, a long list of these are all the people that I absolutely need to speak to. And it's true to my nature. I did eventually have many spreadsheets for this book. But um, what I found... I feel like a spreadsheet is one of your power totems. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, boy, some of my former coworkers would, would have a laugh about that. I really, I think you're probably right, but I resisted that totem for a very long time. Uh, But yes, I I do find them very satisfying on a certain level. Um, But what I found was most effective for this project was just that notion of talking to people and sharing that I was embarking on this journey and uh, that I was open to it. And when I Trying things in a new way. yeah, Yeah. And when I would just, you know, no matter where I was, just being willing to state that and put that out there just inevitably I got actually overwhelmed with the number of names and contact information that started coming into my life that everyone just said, Oh, I saw this person. You have to talk to this astrologer or you've got to talk to this shaman or have you heard of so-and-so or my sister has this, you know, wonderful friend who is working in this space. And so I really didn't have to do a lot of the digging or the outreach that I might have expected to. Um, and so I would, you know, start reaching out to the people who were suggested to me and, you know, listening to interviews they had uh, done, you know, podcasts or reading interviews that they had done and started talking to, you know, those people who were responsive to having an interview. And then, you know, in those various methods, those folks would tell me about other people I should talk to, or they would say, you should read this book, or you should check mm-hmm. out this article. And so my research really happened organically in yeah. that way. Um, and it's still happening. You know, now that the book is out, it's, you know, I feel like I could totally write a part two or a sequel. And now wizards are reaching out to you to have you on their <laughs> yeah. podcast. And, you know, who knows what what doors this will open. I, I mean, it sort of feels like it could be the beginning of a series. And Still expanding. Yes, definitely. And, you know, when I 
originally started this project, I thought, I'm going to write this book, and there'll be a beginning, middle, and end, and at the end of the book, you know, I'll have written it, and I'll put it out there, and then, you know, I'll be on to something totally different. And to a certain extent, that could still be true, but what I'm realizing is that actually the experience of having finished it, having it published, getting to talk to people like you, going on book tour and doing readings and in-person events... I'm actually just at the beginning. Yeah. You know, the, the writing of the book was literally just opening the door. And now I'm walking through the door and it's, you know, it's like crazy to me that the last page of the book ends where it does because it feels like so much has happened subsequently. Um, and, you know, I, I really, I started this project with this idea in general of, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't really think there's anything bigger than us or outside of this lived experience that we're having now, spirits, guides, whatever, but totally happy to be proven wrong when Mm. I die. Won't that be a nice surprise? And now I kind of have the opposite feeling of totally believe in this notion of what I think of as divine. I have, Mm. I don't love the word God for, you know, it works for some people. It's not my personal preference. I love the notion of divine. So it's like, okay, I believe in divine. Um, and maybe when I'll die, I'll be proven wrong and I'll realize there's no divine. I don't believe that, but it's possible. Well, but if you're even, proven wrong, that's, it's a, who, who cares at that point? Who cares at that point? <laughs> not who you, cares? you're gone. Yeah, there's that, of course, but also, <laughs> oh, okay. I was wrong, but wow. Yeah. The, the time, the second half of my life that I got to spend on on earth believing, having those beliefs and being touched by other people who had those beliefs and being open to magic and imagination was so much more fun than the years I had where I didn't have those beliefs. Like, what a great thing to be wrong about. <laughs> well, there's the classic, you know, the classic Donald Rumsfeld quote about we've got the, the known knowns, the known unknowns, yes. and the unknown unknowns. Right. And I think the world of mysticism is being drawn towards those known unknowns and what lies beyond that. That this is not a controversial statement to say that there's things that we don't know and there's things that we're wrong about. Yeah. There's parts of our paradigm that are currently incorrect and people will look back and go, mm-hmm. oh my God, how foolish of them to not understand this thing that yes. we as 22nd century beings have mastered sure. in all of its infinite glory. And the mistake I think that gets made a lot is when things get calcified. And so mm-hmm. the religion becomes dogma and says, we've, yes. the known unknown is now a known known. And we've mm-hmm. figured it out and we've diagrammed whether it's the hierarchy of angels or all the different Buddha worlds, we've got the map and the map is never the territory. The territory is always expansive and we get the joy of being pioneers and seeing what we can uncover. Exactly. And that really brings up another critical point for me, which, and it comes back to this idea of proof Mm -hmm. and the obsession that we have with, you know, tell me it's fact or show me, you know, so I can believe this, you know, definitively. Um, And as I was first wrestling with these interviews and reaching out to people, I was very frustrated because I would interview someone and I would love the things they were telling me and it would just be this really magical and insightful conversation. And I was so excited to transcribe Mm -hmm. the tape recording and write about it. And then we would get to the point in the conversation where I would say, you know, wow, you're telling me about bringing this person back from the dead. You know, could I, 
talk to them or talk to their family members that are in the room or, you know, whatever it was. And they would always say, no, absolutely yeah. not. And, you know, I said, I, I understand that, you know, that maybe they don't want to talk or, you know, I'm not trying to invade anyone's privacy, but I'm really sensitive to the fact that I'm going to have these readers who are going to want, they're going to want proof or they're going to want me to back this up. More sides of the story. Yeah. Like I can tell you like, oh yeah, as a wizard, I, you know, I can levitate stuff all the time. Not right now. I'm feeling tired right now. (laughs) I, you know, levitated this guy's car the other day. And if you're like, can I see the guy? Can I see the car? And I'm like, yeah, no. Yeah. Right. And so it's like, I just kept hitting this wall and it comes back to that feeling that I had with Catherine was, and and many of them would say this explicitly, which Catherine did not. uh, I mean, I I didn't ask her, but, um, you know, say, well, you're asking the wrong question, like proof or, you know, proving it, or, you know, is it, is this true in the sense that we believe it as, uh, you know, kind of culturally how we associate this notion of truth and fact, um, is, you're missing the point, you know? And it's like, at first I'm thinking, well, that's convenient. Like the fact that you're not interested in whether or not I believe you or, you know, proof. You know, a little bit dubious because I think with the um, actress owned lifestyle brand that we mentioned earlier, (laughs) there's this very dubious use of proof where, oh, let's discard proof. Like we don't need it. We don't need it. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, but one weird study proves this thing. So therefore it's ironclad. And of course, yeah. now we all agree that memory has, or water has memory and, you know, you, it's like, now it's proven. And it's like, yeah. you can't have that double standard. Right. It, you can't, it doesn't, you can't have it both ways. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, that was very frustrating. On the other hand, I do think this obsession with proof and sort of the scientific explanation is also dangerous because the industry of science and research is an industry mm-hmm. and a business run by human beings. Yeah. And these are human beings with their own careers on the line, their own biases. Gotta get that grant money. Exactly. And I'm, you know, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus or trying to be dismissive of science. I have a great deal of respect and admiration for for science and the advances that we have made as a culture and think it's phenomenal. But I also recognize that, yeah, there are a lot of competing factors in terms of those studies and what results they include or, you know, what, which results they decide are, oh, that's an anomaly. I'm not going to include that. And it's like, you know, that's that you've got to, you're making some really tough calls as you go. And that's not to say that there isn't a lot of really great science that, has moved us forward and that we can stand behind as having validity. But this idea of, well, someone did a study and it was written about in an established scientific journal. And then it was quoted by a journalist in the New York times or the New Yorker. So that's fact is, is also very slippery. Like, I mean, think about power poses. Are you familiar with power poses? Yes. So power poses, Mm -hmm. At, there was a point where that was scientifically validated. That yep. like we agree that power poses worked, and so if someone at that point did power poses, went into their job interview, they felt confident, they got the job. We're like, this is good. Mm-hmm. Now we have learned that you can't actually reproduce that original research. So what does that mean for the person who is using power poses to crush job interviews? Yeah. Are they wrong? Right. Were they just misled? Right. And I think that's one of the things that I love about magic as I try and approach it is that. You can just have fun in that that yeah. nebulous zone. Science is very expensive. 
It Science is. takes a lot of people, and it has to be at a certain scale. And a lot of time. And a lot of time. And I, as an individual, don't have time. I can't Groundhog Day like this job interview and go through it 150 times and figure out what's the best way that's going to work. I can't even fucking A-B test it yeah. and see what like which approach is going to work. Mm-hmm. So you've got to, at a certain point, take that leap of faith and say... I'm going to do what I need to do to feel confident and walk into that interview. And if that's power poses or if it's, you know, um, writing a, a doc the night before of what I'm going to say and just being prepared. Or if it's putting a four-leaf clover in my shoe, whatever it is. Yeah. As long as I get that job, then my magic's working for me. And that's... Right. And you're... you're uh, actually, there's a chapter late in the book that... Um examines a number of the scientists and research researchers involved in sociology and power posing and the issue of replication Mm -hmm. and and the inability um to definitively uh replicate certain studies that have been done and and it's a problem far beyond just the field of sociology but i think sociology sort of was one of the first fields of research to uh, kind of be thrown under the bus yeah. with the replication studies because it is in many ways um, the most nebulous, you know, to your point of how, you know, it's, it's like, a little bit more magic. It's, it is a little more magic, um, which I think is what's great about it. Yeah, yeah. We're dealing with individual humans and the, the weird infinite worlds that exist inside of their heads. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and you're, and you're getting into intuition mm-hmm. and feeling and being able to shift your perspective and that was something else that another pattern that i noticed in the research of this book was the very best in my mind um psychics and astrologers i interviewed really emphasized all independent of one another this idea of all of us can be our own psychic I may not be able, you know, Devin, to give you a psychic reading, and you may not be able to give me a psychic reading. Totally give you a psychic reading. <laughs> but we can each give ourselves our own. We have our own answers. Mm-hmm. And that a really good psychic, their goal is to help you find that. Um, and a number of the psychics that I was really moved by talked very explicitly about this idea of having limits of the number of readings they would give someone in a year, not wanting to create a dependency and really seeing their work as a chance to empower people to hear their own answers, as opposed to feeling as though this psychic or this individual is, is the answer or has the answers that they are a translator or a channel and they can share that with you, but you can also have your direct relationship and a direct channel. And that I think is, is a really, uh, and profound you gotta go do stuff. You, you know, uh, one of my friends wrote astrology readings for this, like by email service. So mm-hmm. you would go in and you would get your astrology email. And she said there were people that were, you know, they're paying each time, but they were coming back again and again with their questions. Yeah throughout the week and she's like the stars haven't changed buddy yeah i don't know what else to tell you Mm -hmm. and i thought the same thing with whether it's a tarot reading or a psychedelic experience that if you keep reshuffling the deck you're going to get murkier and murkier things as opposed to going forth and taking the action and saying i've got to go live my life and then when i get to another crossroads i'll come back 
but you can sit at a crossroads and spin endlessly, and it's not going to be good for, for anybody. I mean, it kind of makes me think about antibiotics, right? I mean, yeah. the invention of antibiotics was phenomenal. Dope. I mean, we yeah, are it was great. totally dope. Like, yeah. we are so much better off. Thank God for antibiotics. But there's a, you know, there's another side to that. But also chill. chill. Like, you know, you you can do yourself a disservice if you're, you know, become overly reliant on, you know, every time you sneeze, it's, I'm going to take an antibiotic. That's not good for you. And then now we're even on the other side where it's like, also chill on the probiotics. Right. Yeah. What a weird industry that is so unregulated and not proven. Make your own sauerkraut. You don't need to go buy a probiotic matcha smoothie. Like. Just, yeah. just it's going to cost you fourteen dollars. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We come. So one of the things that I wanted to ask about because I think in the book you're definitely talking because you're coming from more of an initial skeptical place and yeah. you're being open to this world, and so you're talking about the people who were very positive and you were impressed by. And I don't need you to name names, but how often did you run into people where you're like slowly backing away, or this seems you know predatory or nonsensical, yeah. or the the yeah. dark corners. So this is a question that has come up a lot, and I think it's an important one. Um, as much as I now consider myself a believer and to be transformed, um, I absolutely came up against fraud and scam artists. And there is a chapter in the book in which I interview a couple different people who were scammed out of uh, significant sums of money yeah. by um, by a scam artist calling herself a psychic, two different psychics. I mean, Miss Cleo got busted. Miss Cleo got busted, yeah. Um, and so that is, uh, it is incredibly prevalent and it's rampant. Um, and that is important to acknowledge. Um, but again, just because, you know, scam artists exist, fraud right. exists, does not mean that... Uh, you know, that there isn't magic as well. Um, and I, it was really uh, critical to me that this book not be in any way, shape, or form a gotcha book. Right. Um, and when someone would introduce me to or I would stumble upon someone who, you know, wanted to talk to me, wanted to be interviewed, and we would start chatting, and I would start to have misgivings about their work or their perspective, then I would just choose not to include them yeah. in the book. Um, and, and that's not even to say that all of those people were, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily call a lot of them scam artists or frauds. I think for a lot of them, they really believed the work that they were doing, but it is tricky and it does come back to the, you know, actress lifestyle brand of we are in a moment where this has become a world that is much more popular, much more socially acceptable, much more mainstream than it has been in, in recent decades. Um, and that means that there is room for people who maybe have other motives or, or they see it as a job. They see it as a brand and, you know, in, in the same way that, you know, you want to cultivate a following and this is just the uh, vocabulary or the avenue that you've chosen to do that. And I don't even, I won't even necessarily say that I think that that's wrong because if, I think there are people who connect with those individuals and who feel that they've helped them. And so if no one's getting hurt and both, you know, both the person who is sharing their message, whatever it is, and the person who's receiving it, uh, you know, feel that they're benefiting from the exchange, then 
you know, by all means, you know, who am I to say that they shouldn't have that experience? But it wasn't what I was, I was interested in exploring something that felt deeper. Yeah. More substance and a little bit more structure and integrity than, you know, a psychic that's making wild guesses that you're like, this is not. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just someone who says, we're going to sit on this mat together and we're going to meditate and then I'm going to sell you a $75 crystal. And that doesn't mean that selling a $75 crystal can't be great and really helpful and awesome for some people. But, you know, if I would meet someone and they couldn't tell me about how they came to meditation or the practices they had explored or the research they had done, or they didn't know anything about the crystal that they were selling. It just, you know, it did. It felt, it felt superficial. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can easily end up in multi-level marketing with this. this It's, 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 I think that's, what's hard with this idea of like proof is if someone tells me they're a master woodworker, I can go over to their shop and look at their furniture and say, wow, okay, this is really cool. Or you can sit on their chair and you it's like, did, chair. did the chair hold me up? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's some, there's a few tests that I can apply, mm-hmm. but from afar, it's hard to tell the difference between the person who is the master tarot reader yeah. and who's the person who's actually just really good at SEO keywords and building an online business and having a funnel yeah. and presenting that and behind the scenes doesn't care about tarot or do anything with it really. It's just, you know, they've got 14 different websites that are all the same gimmick with different branding on each of them. Yeah. And which of those is going to come up in a Google search first? How are you going to find the authentic through the uh, the jungle of illusion? Exactly. And, you know, I think this comes back to that idea of following your own intuition and your instincts. And this is something else that I explore in the book is this idea of what's the difference between sort of following your gut mm-hmm. and your intuition and your gut is more masculine, right? It's mm-hmm. more socially acceptable. You could have a CEO, you know, in the boardroom saying, you know, I'm going to follow my gut and everyone thinks, you know, that's great and applauds him for his vision. Mm-hmm. And you could have a woman say, well, you know, my intuition tells me and everyone's sort my of... My ovaries are tingling. Yeah, 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 exactly. And everyone's sort of backing slowly away like, oh God, I don't want to be involved in that. Um, and I think that... Uh, you know, the sort of cultural labels and the patriarchy behind that is an important, important component of this as well. Um, and really wanting, wanting folks when they read the book to, you know, to just ask themselves, you know, am I, am I afraid of my intuition or do I feel that intuition and empathy are soft instead of, you know, are weak instead of, uh, you know, positions of strength. And, and maybe some people feel that way and some people don't, but, you know, just asking yourself that question and being open to it. And I think the more that that we do sort of try and find that stillness and come into our own, the, the more you realize that you are hearing those answers, whatever they are for you. And so when you do meet someone and you're trying to figure out, you know, what, like, to, to what extent do I feel that you have an important message or something to share with me? And, you know, you know, you feel it. I think, I think true intuition, what I've learned is, you know, developing my own is you've got to be willing to also throw away some of the signals. Yeah. 
There's plenty of times where I've like ended up on a street corner and I feel like a pull of energy and I'm like, I guess I'll walk this way. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that pull literally has me spinning in circles and I go, all right, I've got to go to my appointment now. <laughs> Forget this. Like, if you can't make up your mind, I'm going to go. Like, yeah. the world's not going to end. I need, I need to just move forward. Yes. Um, so this was a, this was a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for for coming on and sharing this. Yeah, I, loved I would it. I would love to leave our listeners now with a spell that they can use to um, maybe open the door to their own uh, their own journey and intuition. Yeah, so what definitely. would you what would you like to share? So I can't take credit for this. Um, one of the folks that I interviewed and spent quite a bit of time with was Hunter Reynolds, who is an astrologer. Um, he's actually based in Indonesia. Uh, so I've never met him in person, but I did take, he offers an, uh, an astrology sort of awakening mm-hmm. course that you can take remotely um, that you go through. It's 12 weeks and uh, each week is devoted to a different one of the 12 sun signs. Um, he has all sorts of packets of readings and information and exercises. And then at the end of each week, you do a phone call with mm-hmm. him um, where you unpack sort of the lessons and exercises and the readings. Um and uh, he has one of, one of the exercises that he has is this idea of asking someone close to you in your life or maybe one or two people who know you really well, who you spend a lot of time with, to pose to them the question, what would you invite me to change in my daily life that would break me out of my patterns make me less predictable. Mm. Now, you might present this question to someone in your life and they may say to you, actually, I wish you were more predictable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not looking for you to be less predictable, but push back on that, you know, come back to them again and, and say, you know, is, is there a pattern that you see me engaged in that you might invite me to reconsider? Um, and I think what's really interesting about this exercise or this spell is one, it, invites a potentially really interesting conversation with someone who you love and know well to tell you something that, you know, they've probably kind of long thought either consciously or subconsciously, but never occurred to them to share it with you. And in my experience in my own life and also in sharing this idea with other people, and I think in Hunter's experience, um, People know instantly, (laughs) you know, they don't sit there and go, gee, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's this thing that, you know, you do or whatever. And that's not to say that you, you know, upon receiving their answer, have to then change or stop doing that. But now you have a piece of information that you didn't have before. And I think it's that idea of breaking the spell of who we think we are or what we think our identity is and our identity kind of being on autopilot you know this notion of well i'm from this place i do this job and that our identity are these labels you know i'm a girlfriend or i'm a brother or i'm a sister or i'm a, you know a child um and you know i am not my book you know future perfect is not me it is something i did it's something i'm incredibly proud of but i am not a writer i am not an author that's part of how i show up in the world but stripping away those labels of ambition and success and really figuring out who we are at our core, I think is really the most powerful thing that I've had the opportunity to dive into because of writing this book. And I hope that other people would too. And so, 
that's, you know, just, it's, it's a really interesting, maybe this is sort of two spells. You sit down on a piece of paper and you write, who am I? And the first, you know, few sentences, the first page, whatever it is, you might look at it and realize, oh, sure, those are, those are external ways that someone could describe me, but that's not actually who I am. And it's like, you got to get through all that. And then what's beneath that? And it may take you you know, days, weeks, months to actually find an answer. A lifetime. It, a lifetime. Yeah. Exactly. And I think, I think that's okay. And each, and it's, it's a question that you can come back to repeatedly and the answer will continue to shift and evolve. But I think that's just really one of the most empowering things you can do because if you're no longer your work or you're no longer this set of external labels that other people associate with you, then rejection or things not going as well they don't mean as much because someone not liking my book is not someone not liking me. Well, your pattern, you know, you are a pattern. You wake up, you do the things, you have the identity, you tell people the same stories. We, you know, we live in that. And it sounds like when you ask other people to see something that you can't see yourself because it's in your blind spot that allows you to not destroy the pattern, but to shift it and to mix it up. And then that creates the possibility for new things to come in for you to surprise yourself, for you to learn about other strengths, for you to be in the world in a different way. Yeah. And I mean, just on the most basic level, if you take a different way to work, you're going to see different things. Yeah. You're going to bump into different people. Exactly. And maybe you'll bump it to yourself. Yes. And I think it comes back to that idea of expansion that we started yeah. off with. I have, I now have decided that I live my life with this notion that uncertainty is just opportunity with bad marketing. And just getting really comfortable with that and embracing it. Great. So let's end with that. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you. To learn more about Victoria's Search for an Honest Mystic, pick up a copy of Future Perfect, available wherever books are sold. And if you found our mysticism to be at least semi-honest, and what's a good wizard without an irreducible element of rascality? We'd love to have you join our caravan of curious seekers here at this podcast as a ritual. So come along and see what wonderful worlds there are to discover by merging your magic with ours by supporting this ritual at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, whereby stepping through the doorway and offering up a small sacrifice, we can expand our magic out into the world and create a slightly better reality. Until next time, I'm Devin Person. I believe in you, but not too much. Mm-hmm.